Hello, and welcome to the AdPod, the podcast dedicated to discussing advertising topics. I'm your host, Wayne Broadwell, and today we're going to be talking about the Privacy Sandbox. The Privacy Sandbox is an open source initiative to develop a set of standards to enhance privacy on the open web whilst also supporting publishers. To discuss this, I'm joined by Paul Bannister, who is the Chief Strategy Officer at Cafe Media and a board member at the IB Tech Lab. Paul is also part of the W3C working group dedicated to developing these standards. So given his experience and responsibilities, he's clearly the perfect person to be discussing today's topic. Without further ado, let's crack on with episode two of the AdPod. Hey, Paul, welcome to the AdPod. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Wayne. Thanks for having me. No, thank you for coming on. Really appreciate it. For those listening who don't know you, would you mind giving us a quick introduction to your career and what you do now? Sure thing. Uh, I've been working in digital ads, internet stuff for 25 years. Um, I ran back in the mid 90s, one of the earliest sites actually run ads. So I've been doing this for a long time. And um, usually that's a benefit um, to, to have the, the, the knowledge. Uh, I work for Cafe Media um, and we represent 3000 independent publishers, you know, m- mid-size typically, some a bit smaller, some actually quite large. Um, and we run all of the advertising for them. So we're the exclusive ad representative for those sites. And, you know, we function effectively as an outsourced ad operations sales team and all the other the, the pieces. In aggregate, we are actually the largest open web publisher. The only companies that have a larger web presence than us are platforms like Google and Apple or, um, you know, omnichannel broadcasters like Disney and Viacom. So we, we have aggregated very large scale and um, a really awesome group of publishers that we work with. Awesome. And, you know, we're here today to talk about Privacy Sandbox. And I imagine that will impact your publishers in quite a significant way but before we sort of dive into the detail on that it'd be good to start off with defining what privacy sandbox is and where it has come from sure so the way i always started is you know chrome is actually the the last browser of all the major browsers to eliminate third-party cookies you know, effectively and you know over the years uh safari did it and firefox did it and edge has you know some version of it that is sort of similar. Um, and, and in all those cases, particularly Safari and Firefox, they said, we're going to get rid of third-party cookies and all other kind of tracking-based things um, because it's more than just cookies. It's cross-site tracking in general. And and they said, we're going to get rid of these, these cross-site tracking vectors and, and that's it. And that, they didn't really do anything else. So from an advertising perspective, whether you're a publisher or an advertiser, those browsers became less valuable. Whereas with Chrome, they said, hey, we want to get rid of third-party cookies too and stop cross-site tracking, but we actually want to replace cookies with this whole batch of proposals that they think, they claim, will replace cookies and allow advertising to be just as effective and, and you know, for advertisers and make just as much money for publishers. So that's sort of the, the theory behind these 25 or so different proposals that make up the sandbox. Yeah, and it was interesting because, um, you know, as you mentioned, Safari and Firefox just kind of did their own thing. Whereas with Chrome, they've kind of almost extending an olive branch to the industry and they want those proposals to be within the W3C, um, the World Wide Web Consortium. Um, that's interesting in itself that Chrome are going down that approach. What's your, what's your thoughts on like how they've 
gone down that route as opposed to just making changes wholesale their side? I think in a, you know, there's at least two pieces to it. I think on one side, more than the other browser companies, Google understands that much of the open web is funded by advertising. And, you know, rightly or wrongly, they also know that much of that advertising has been built on the back of third-party cookies and cross-site tracking. And so they know that by eliminating those things, they're going to put a serious, if they did nothing, that would put a very serious dent into the open web as a platform for advertising. And that has a whole bunch of very negative, you know, implications that, that you know, kind of spiral out of control. Um, so on one hand, you can say there's a, um, you know, a, an altruistic component, altruism may be too strong of a word, but like Google saying like, we know we have to support advertising. It matters to the open web. Let's make sure it works. On the other hand, um, you know, it can be said also that Google is the only one of those major companies that has a massive advertising business. And therefore it's in their interest directly to make sure that they, you know, build these new features and functionality. I tend to agree with that. Although the, the funny thing about it is I feel that if Google just turned off third party cookies entirely and did nothing kind of like what Safari did, it would actually help their core businesses more. I think in those cases, YouTube and Google.com would be the only places to do anything. And therefore advertisers would, would spend all their money there and the rest of the open web would, would go away. Um, and yes, it would hurt their ads division, um, but I'm not sure. So to some level, like, again, like I would never you know, accuse Google of being altruistic, um, but I do think there is some nature here that they believe that the open web should you know, should be strong and and, ad, and an ad-supported component is important. Um, and so that's great. I, I'm, I'm happy about that. And it's something that the other browsers don't recognize and, and don't support and don't understand the damage that they're doing um, with their current stances. Yeah, and I, I've got a lot of friends who work at Google and I'm always very cynical about Google generally. And his, history has kind of proven me to, to lead that way, I guess. But with this in particular, um, as you say, they see the value in ad-funded internet and how you know publishers, uh, content producers contribute towards that, and they have to find ways to, you know, monetize, um, and also for consumers so they don't have to keep paying subscriptions, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, yeah, I just found their approach going this way interesting, and I know that you've been involved in those W3C conversations. Um, love to know what you can share about those, how they kind of go. Um, who's involved, kind of what's the tone, how's this kind of going really? Yeah, so so the W3C is the World Wide Web Consortium and it's the industry trade group that, that kind of like runs the standards for the web. So like HTML like is defined by the W3C and many other like web standards come out of there. And Google said, let's use the W3C as the place to discuss all these privacy sandbox proposals. So a year ago or so we joined and and, you know, kind of thought like, oh, we'll show up to a meeting once a week and we'll learn about all this stuff and, and realize quickly that the W3C is this enormous organization um, and has many different parts to it. And, and we realized like, oh, this is not show up to a meeting and, and hope for the best. This is, you know, we're probably in, you know, myself and other people on our team, you know, at least three or four meetings directly in the W3C on a weekly basis, as well as like side meetings that come out of it. And, and then like, there's like regular, like large events where it's three hour sessions and whatever. So there's a lot of things that are, that are going on. And, you know, in, in, in one place, so one part of the W3C is the web advertising business group, which is where the bulk of the conversations are happening. And that's a weekly phone call. And then a whole bunch of 
GitHub proposal. So all these proposals are in GitHub and anybody can look at them and read them and, and put comments and issues on them and, and contribute potential um, you know, updates. And then, and so much of the conversations are happening there. And, and in that group, the only people who are involved generally are Google, a whole bunch of ad tech companies, a couple of publishers like us and, and some others and a couple of advertisers. And a lot of those calls, you know, really start getting into the weeds of Turtle Dove and, the, you know, this week's call was, was about Flock and, you know, uh, the other birds that people have been proposing and, and some other side things there. But it's, it's mainly Google. Like, you know, there may be an Apple person shows up, there may be a Microsoft person that shows up, but it's, it's mainly driven by Google because for now, at least, it seems that these proposals will only ever be adopted by Google. Um, so that's like his own interesting batch of things. And then there are within the privacy sandbox, some components that the other browsers are somewhat interested in. And those have moved on to other parts of the, the W3C. There's a group um, called the privacy community group um, where some of the pro proposals are being discussed. There's another part called the web incubator community group or, or shortened to YCG people call it with this conversations going on there. Um, so it's really this octopus of different conversations and things and trying to keep it threaded together is very complicated. We hired a dedicated person, um, Don Marty, who used to work at Firefox. So like understands the browser industry, understands privacy really well um, to be like, you know, I can't spend all my waking hours involved in this. So we have him to be at all these meetings and get all the information. Um, and also, you know, at the end of the day, like our purpose to be there is to advocate for, for our publishers and make sure that, you know, that, that, that they're, you know, revenue and things are, are protected in, into the future. Um, but to some level, like we try to advocate for publishers in general, because, you know, there's, you know, there's not really much of a difference between our publishers and publishers at large. Um, so how do we make it that as, you know, open web advertising is re-architected into the future? How do we, like, this is kind of a good opportunity to say, can we make it, actually make it better for publishers in the future? Um, and that's sort of our kind of main goal of being there. Got you. And that was going to be my next question really is like, what are the advantages of privacy sandbox? Because lots of what you read is the disadvantages, um, a lot of cynicism and concern over, you know, lost revenue um, and inability for advertisers to, to do what they want to do with digital ads in particular. Um, but what do you think are some of the advantages to privacy sandbox? I mean, I think, you know, we kind of discussed the main advantage already, like third party cookies are going to go away. Like, they're bad on so many levels. Like there's the, all the privacy issues. There's a whole bunch of security problems. There's a whole bunch of just like stuff that's bad about them. Like they're going to go away. So, you know, if you, if you, and I feel like there's a fair number of people who are still yelling about that. It's like, if you're yelling about that, like you missed the boat, like mm. you're the, 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 this, this game is over, like stop playing some old game. Um, and so I think if you come in with that attitude and you say, okay, we got to play, we got to figure out a new game here then it's like, okay, how do we make these standards and things work better and really try to understand them? There's, you know, you know, in our business and, you, you know, you know it as well as anybody, there's a lot of misinformation and, and people don't understand what's going on. And this is like times 10 because it's like, it's so complicated. And these, you know, these, these calls are, you know, it's, it's browser engineers and Facebook privacy experts with PhDs in math, economics, and computer science arguing about homomorphic encryption. And you're just like, what the heck is going on here? And, and so it's like, it's so hard and it's so arcane. So I think it's, so I think that makes a lot of people like kind of either throw their hands up and say, I'm not going to bother, or, you know, a little bit like yell into the wind, like, I don't like this thing. And it's like that, you know, without even really understanding and that, you know, 
cuts up and down. Like I hear people from big ad tech companies talking on the call sometimes and, and uh, you know, I, I do not um, claim to know the ins and outs of, you know, a quarter of these, these proposals, but like so many people are, are so apt to just start spouting, not, you know, information that just isn't true or asking questions that, that don't matter. And um, it's a little, you know, separating the, um, the the signal and noise is sometimes hard to really try to understand like who's got a really good point and who should be listened to versus who is, you know, talking the wrong direction. Yeah. And I think many companies are just trying to maintain the status quo um, because their business model is built in that way and uh, maybe not incentivized to encourage the change um mm-hmm. and as you say you know these proposals they're all available online you just google privacy sandbox github you can go read them and it's actually an interesting read to be honest um mm-hmm. fascinating the way that um almost a developer's mind works backwards towards advertising yep. goals as opposed to the other way around mm-hmm. um and i think that'd be you know kind of a, uh, a good segue into talking about those proposals um Firstly, they're mostly named after birds. What's the bird? What's the bird thing about? It's always confused me. I um, I think I'm right. I'm I'm not a thousand percent sure because I haven't asked them. So Michael Kleber is a Google Chrome engineer, and he's one of the lead engineers, like leading the privacy sandbox discussions. Um, he loves birds, and so I think he named initially turtle dove and pigeon and flock which were like the initial three that had the bird names just because he likes birds um and and then that just stuck and now there's i don't even know 20 other bird proposals mostly from other companies but a handful of like updated google ones as well got you yeah i I love it at least there's some sort of commonality to the naming um yeah it's something um so flock um federated learning of cohorts what are your thoughts on that um, it's, you know, I think you put to the side for a minute, it has some potential issues around, um, um, the ways it can identify people that it shouldn't be able to identify and, and sort of do bad things. Um, but let's put those to the side for a minute. Um, and so th- the idea behind flock is as a use case, can a proposal replace like, you know, simplistically from an advertiser perspective, prospecting. How can advertisers find new users and new consumers of their products? And that's sort of like the use case that Flock is, is targeted towards. And the way it does that, you know, and, and this was, again, a long conversation yesterday, um, and it's the 14th conversation about Flock. But the basic idea is that as you browse the web as a user in Chrome, if you are, if you have Chrome Sync turned on, um, so the feature that like, you know, synchronizes your history across browsers and things like that, which I think most users have turned on. If you have that feature turned on, Chrome itself will once a day, look at your browsing history, do a whole bunch of really fancy math and figure out like, 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 like put you into like, a, you know, <laughs> I will quote the Google engineer yesterday talking about it. It, it puts you into a hyperdimensional space. It like basically assigns a whole bunch of numbers to you that don't mean anything, but they, they are mapping of your browsing history to this like bunch of numbers. And then federated learning kicks off. And what federated learning is, is it's, the abil- it's, it's um, effectively like edge computing where browsers talk to each other. So your browser, while it's plugged in and on Wi-Fi at night and you're asleep, will go out. And normally it's going to go out and go back to Google and sync your Chrome and do other stuff. Um, 
but your, your, your browser is actually going to go out and talk to other, other Chrome browsers in the world and look for similar ones. So it'll be like, okay, Wayne, if you are looking to buy an SUV and you've been on Kelly Blue Book, Edmunds, and Nissan.com 22 times in the last three days, that's going to you know, calculate over to a, a, bunch of, a certain bunch of numbers. And as your browser goes out and talks to other browsers, it'll find a bunch of other people that are like, oh, these people have like, it's not the same, but it's similar. They have the, like similar sorts of browsing history. And again, the browsers don't know each other's browsing history. They just know these numbers that like kind of come out of this equation. Um, and then it'll say, oh, wow, like we're really similar. And it doesn't know you're Wayne and it doesn't know I'm Paul, um, but it does know that we have very similar numbers to each other. So it'll say, great. These two browsers now are in flock one, two, three, four. And that like number gets assigned to your browser. And then, you know, those browsers go out and talk to more browsers and more and more browsers that are looking at SUVs will be assigned to flock one, two, three, four. So now for, you know, in the case of you, you happen to go to Nissan. So Nissan might know you're interested in their products. And that and in that case, they would use um, Turtle Dove or Fledge, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute. Um, but if I only went to Kelly Blue Book and cars.com, no car manufacturers know me yet. But they might find out that Flock One Two Three Four is really good to target for the purposes of reaching people who are interested in SUVs. So that's sort of the idea, and you know, got into the weeds a little bit there. But that's sort of the idea behind it is like, how can companies find prospects that they wouldn't know about otherwise? Yeah, and without having to drop cookies all over the web to find that out, basically. Exactly. Exactly. So the so the thing about this is these because the browsers are talking to each other. No servers ever get the information. No servers know that that bunch of numbers. So no one can actually tie it back to a particular person. All they know is later on when you, you know your browser is calling for ads that this browser is in flock one, two, three, four. So it knows like, and there's this concept of K anonymity, which is basically how many people are in a group and what is large enough to, to, to be private. So the idea was talked about yesterday is a thousand people. So if a thousand people are in a flock, that means that it can be used for targeting. But if less than a thousand people are in a flock, it cannot be used for targeting. That information never gets sent out by the browser to make sure that it can't be tied back to single users. It can only be tied back to, to cohorts. Makes sense. And I, I can see how that solves for the targeting use cases, I guess, around groups of users where they're not identified personally or by placing cookies on their machines. Right. So that proposal I, totally makes sense. Um, next one I want to talk about was uh, turtle dev which is i can't believe how this is an acronym by the way but two uncorrelated requests then locally executed decision on victory um and the use case really is remarketing this was actually one of the earlier chrome proposals i think in january last year 2020 um what are your thoughts on i guess turtle dove how the conversation's been around that that, that's really been the one that's had the most focus. Um, and it's what it's the one that spawned most of the other birds that have come out. So Sparrow is an iteration of Turtle Dove and um, Parrot and uh, uh, Turn. Like those those three are probably like the, the primary three other birds that have been put out there by ad tech companies, um, Critio, Magnite, and um, AdRoll in, in, in those cases. And, and so they tried to say, Turtle Dove is a good idea, but here are evolutions of it that will be better, and here's why. And that was sort of that's been an interesting kind of batch of conversations. And you know what? And what what Chrome has done so far is said, okay, like as they're roll, starting to roll out tests now, which Fledge, which you know we can talk about more. Fledge is sort of this iteration of Turtle Dove that takes into account a lot of the things that were in Sparrow, Parrot, and Turn in particular, and tries to put them into practice and make it so they can actually be used out in the world. So Fledge, which is coming out soon, is really 
you know, like version one of Turtle Dove. And that will be actually the first time we can see some of these kind of remarketing use cases out in the world and see how they work. Yeah, and, and Fledge is the uh, first locally executed decision over groups experiment. Mm-hmm. Um, these acronyms are incredible, really. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's been rolled out. I think I was reading in an Origin trial, and on an Origin trial is basically it runs across 0.5% of Chrome page loads. So it's a good mm-hmm. way to test without exposing it to every single user um, yep. to see how it works. And it has to run for a fixed period of time. And if it goes over that volume of page loads, it gets shut down. So it's, it's a, basically it's a good way for developers to get feedback on trials. Yep. Um, but the time, not sure exactly when it ships or when it's been tested, but that will definitely be, um, definitely be interesting because so far when we have seen some of the outputs from um, these proposals and there's a Google blog that said one of the earlier tests was 95% as effective as third-party cookies. You start digging into that and there's some question marks over how that's done. Not amazingly transparent in the methodology of that. Um, but these, these, I guess what I'm trying to say is these proposals now are actually coming to fruition. They're actually getting deployed and tested um, and just fascinating to see how they sort of how they sort of go from here really uh it really is my understanding is that fledge and flock will both be origin trials in uh chrome 89 which is the next version of chrome uh which i think is going to be released in about a month uh so i think at that point it will be testable and 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 one of the big questions with with both of them is to your point about the 95 percent, which there was a whole discussion yesterday on the call about the 95 percent, and you know net net like it's not a, it's not a useful number at all um but the, the question is, and the, the Critio team has been very good at really pointing this out, like, how are we really measuring any of these things and comparing their effectiveness? Like, what's the methodology for doing that? Because, you know, it's going to be easy for Google to run around and be like, oh, everything's fine. And, you know, in this case, the Critio team is saying, like, mm, like you need a measurement plan here that we can all agree on and say, like, yeah, this is fine, or it's 90% as effective or 70% or whatever it is. Um, everyone knows there's going to be some loss in you know, capabilities here, but like how much is it? How do you measure it? And what's acceptable are, are big questions that are not answered. Yeah, t- totally agree. And um, there's a bunch of other proposals. We could spend all day talking about them, but just um, and if you go to GitHub, search for Privacy Sandbox, you can start to see them. Um, and I'll put a link in the description of the podcast also. Um, but I mentioned earlier that there's been a lot of discussion around the disadvantages of Privacy Sandbox and some of the challenges that come with it. What do you think about those disadvantages and what do you hear from like your publishers really? Um, you know, disadvantages or advantages, you know, my, my mood changes by the day um, in terms of what I think might happen. You know, when you really dig into Flock and Turtle Dove and like the birds, um, you know, th- there is a world that can be seen where it all works. What one very funny thing about all this stuff is, yes, cross-site tracking will be eliminated, and yes, there will be new advertising technology that will allow the same targeting to work without without cross-site tracking, without cookies. But from a user perspective, all the same weird stuff that a lot of users don't like. And I would argue in a lot of cases actually are more concerned about than privacy, like, you know, weird retargeting ads following, following them, them around the internet and them doing something in one place and it happened and then them seeing ads in another place. Like all those 
use cases to, from a user perspective still exist. So like, even though yes, you're in a cohort and yes, you're private and yes, your information is never stored by another, by a third party. If the user feels that weird, creepy shoe ads are still following them around the internet, do they care that this is more private? And that's like a really big question that like no one's quite answered. So I think that's like a big thing. Like, will this work? Because when users see it, are they going to feel like their privacy is protected? Like, and that's where like all this nonsense math and stuff that people are talking about, like, you know, what user is going to be like, oh, homomorphic encryption is in play. Therefore, I feel totally comfortable. Like, they're going to be like creepy shoe ads. I don't like them. Stop them from happening. And so that's a little bit one of my concerns is like, this is, this is, whereas in like, in, you know, in Safari, creepy shoe ads can't follow you because all cross-site tracking is dead. So that doesn't happen in, in that browser. Um, you get far worse ads because no one can target you with anything, but that's a different point. Um, but in Chrome, like the same user behaviors or user experiences will still happen. So th that's going to be really interesting. Um, I think, you know, for our publishers, you know, they look to us to solve these problems for them. So I think that they, a lot of them hopefully feel confidence that we're on top of these things and figuring it out. And this, you know, goes beyond the privacy sandbox and goes into identity solutions and first party data. And we're expanding our sales team significantly and do a lot of things to uh, grow, you know, like, our moat around, you know, how do we protect, you know, revenue for, for our publishers? Um, I think, you know, if, and I feel like a lot of other publishers, even big ones are sort of worried about all this because they don't, they, they can't wrap their heads around all of it. And they don't know what they, the, um, what the right answers are going to be. And, and, you know, a lot of the time you've seen me talk about this, but like, I, you know, I complain a lot that people think that the answer to the question of like the death of third party cookies is identity solutions. I'm like, no, like that's a piece. And like, yeah, you should do it. But like for most publishers, that's going to be a pretty small piece of, of the, the final, you know, kind of place you're going to get to. So you should work on that, but you got to work on your first party data and understanding your users better, building better relationships with you. You know, we think, you know, building out, you know, bigger sales seems like we think a lot of things are the ways that a publisher can control, like identity is going to be a, a small piece. Um, so I think a lot of big publishers are definitely worried about all these things, but, but can't, can't focus on them. Yeah. And I think there's, there's a lot to consider, isn't there? Cause I actually wanted to talk about the identity piece because on one hand you've got, you know, everything moves to the browser. Um, it's all controlled within those you've got, you know, uh, this, concept of matching first party IDs like probabilistically sometimes deterministically and uh, you've also got you know authenticated traffic there's a lot of talk around the value of an email address going forwards um so there is a lot to consider but uh, you know I guess from a publisher perspective how do you how do you balance all that up where do you put your priorities between doubling down on the understanding of sandbox versus kind of working alongside a myriad of um, identity solutions so for example unified id has been spun out of the trade desk it's now kind of controlled and managed by prebid alongside the ib tech lab uh, you've got the authenticated traffic solution which is what live ramp have you have like id5 zeotap there's a lot of ways it's pulling in different directions and i think sometimes the field conditions itself and i think the field of industry um ad professionals is now thinking multiple solutions is basically where, where the, the mindset is at. Um, love to know your thoughts on how going forward, how you kind of balance all of those you know, different things. Yeah, I think, um, you know, around identity, multiple solutions is definitely the answer, which is unfortunate. Um, 
I think in a funny way in the beginning right now and for a while, like publishers have more leverage because if there's no supply of these IDs in the world, no, like no one will buy them because if an advertiser turns, you know, you know, turn, you know, activates a deal that uses IDs and they don't scale, like they're going to say, forget it, I'm not doing this. So because supply is so scarce right now, publishers can, can have a bit more say in terms of like, well, I'm going to run this ID, but only with these, um, you know, considerations, like as a good example, like LiveRamp's been doing a good job of putting in place controls for publishers in, in terms of like when you share IDs and in what scenarios and to which partners and things like that. And that's something that, that is really valuable to a lot of um, publishers, which is great. Um, so I think like right now, publishers can say what they want and they're, and, you know, generally are getting those things. Whereas over time, I think the leverage will move to the buy side because, you know, you know, if you're, if you're, you know, a huge advertiser, if you're Procter and Gamble or somebody like that, and you said like, we're standardizing on UID two, and I have no idea of what PNG's plans are and their position on any of this stuff. But um, if they say that, like that will carry a lot of weight and a lot of publishers will be, well, I got to run UID two. Like that has to be part of my solution here. So I think that, you know, I think that the, the leverage point will move back to the buy side um, over the longer term, but like now is a good time for publishers to, um, you know, use their leverage with a lot of the ID companies to get to get the IDs to work in ways that they want. Yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, I always come back to with all of this, like what does it mean for the advertiser? Because we can go through all of the next, you know, couple of years, all these changes, but if ads don't perform on publisher sites, you know, regardless of how that targeting works, how measurement works, the money will just go into places it does work. And in the digital environment, you know, there's some pretty big first party walled gardens that can deliver that. So that sort of juxtaposition between privacy and ads, I mean, it has to work together because otherwise the ad internet just won't be funded. Right. So, so that gets to like something that annoys me, like many things um, <laughs> that is, um, you know, privacy advocates run around and they say, people have been buying billboards and magazines and TV shows for years. Like, why don't people just go back to doing that? And, and, and they don't understand that, like, like what you said is exactly the right point. Like if I'm an advertiser and I can go to my DSP and buy on the open web and nothing is targeted, I can't get attribution and like, I, I can't see what the performance of my campaigns is, or I can just log into Facebook and upload my email list, build lookalike models and reach a whole bunch of users and get pretty good attribution because Facebook's attribution will still be damaged by all these changes, but, but nowhere near as much. Um, why wouldn't I just do that? Like if I was an advertiser, like I would certainly do that. The, the one thing I've heard, and I'm actually curious for your perspective on this, I have heard from some advertisers that, that Facebook for them and like the walled gardens in particular, like they're reaching points of diminishing returns. Like they can't really spend that much more money. So while like while they'd love to, like, you know, ROAS or whatever their core metric is, like it's not working for them beyond what they're spending at. I'm curious if you if you see similar things. Yeah, definitely. Uh, particularly big advertisers who've been spending a lot on there for years. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, definitely reaching points of diminishing returns. Um, and even like the new wave of D2C brands who put mm -hmm. a large chunk of their kind of VC money into marketing they're kind of maxing out on search, maxing out on social media uh, yeah. and, and looking at other ways to, to deploy that money. But, but right now you'd go, oh, God, this sounds like a headache. I just, at the moment, I can just log into 
Facebook and put my credit card in and off we go. Whereas yep. now you've got to like try to understand like how measurement works and how everything else works. So I think kind of tidying up some of those um, challenges, I think will definitely help encourage spend into the space so long as it works. It just ha- it has to work. And I think it's very, right. I don't want to say the word naive because it sounds a bit patronizing, but very optimistic to hope that brands and advertisers just change their metrics entirely so it's right. sort of re- retrofits into something else because yeah. they're under huge challenges from their you know uh, chief financial officers to show returns and if they can just show facebook and google works and maybe they've got something with tv they do some you know six month measurement program or whatever how do you show the rest works as effectively um, to justify right. the investment? And it's diff- that's right. the difficult challenge. Right. I think I agree with that 100%. I think so much of the burden here falls to the DSPs because I think that, you know, someday next year when third-party cookies turn off and that version of Chrome deploys around the world over a two-week period of time or whatever and normal, the existing stuff that everyone's been using just starts cratering, it's, you know... Uh, you know, you, you said it, but like to, the way I was bringing down to like the person level, like some media planner is going to walk to their desk and log into their DSP. And like, it's got to be just as easy for them that day as it was the day before. If it's harder or if it's, if it's less performant or if it doesn't work or they don't understand it or they have to do a whole bunch of nonsense, like they're going to be like, forget this. Mm. And they're going to, they're going to move on. And it's got to be, so I think a lot is on the DSP. It's really, it's, it's about that, that, that point of, um, you know, where the rubber meets the road, like literally hands on keyboard, like that, that person has to feel like, yeah, this is still working. I'm like, maybe I had to change some check boxes and, you know, move this thing from here to here, but like it works and it's easy and it's straightforward. Like none of these people want to learn about how turtle dove works and homomorphic encryption, which I keep picking on and whatever, like they don't care. They don't want to know about it. Um, they want it to work. And, and I think a lot falls on the DSPs to make, to make that transparent for them. Yeah, totally agree. And um, I know that you're a director at the IAB Tech Lab. We'd love to know how the Tech Lab is kind of working with the, well, specifically Privacy Sandbox. So Tech Lab has been, you know, really involved in the, you know, these calls that we're talking about, whether it's Privacy Community Group and the Web Advertising Business Group and the W3C. And, and I think they have been trying to represent the needs of the industry and get, you know, make sure those, those voices are there. They also have, um, you know, all these things are threaded together. So there's project Rearc, which is kind of a, you know, large initiative within, um, I don't know, it's IB or tech lab or both. I can't even remember at this point. Um, but like to, again, like come up with these standards and practices around like, you know, and, and Rearc's the right word for it. Like we are re-architecting how advertising works and, and they're trying to come, you know, they, we um, are trying to come up with, you know, the, the right approach and the right um, standards and the right practices to make it so like this next time around, like it all is better, um, better for users first um, and then better for, for publishers and advertisers second. Um, so I think that those are really, really um, good things. And then that's all connected into PRAM, which is the, which is its own separate, you know, trade group or whatever at this point that we're also involved in, um, and that's sort of like again trying to take those use cases around rearc and bring them to life in a bigger way and really get advertisers bought into it and kind of the entire ecosystem, not just pieces. So there's all these different conversations within these different trade organizations in terms of like trying to fill the gaps around 
you know, all these, you know, it's, it's massive changes. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I say it sometimes that it sounds so ridiculous, but like the, this is the largest set of changes that have ever happened to this industry by far. And like, it's not an overstatement, like it's huge. And, and that's why so many people are involved on so many levels. Yeah. And it's so good that the tech lab um, is taking a very proactive stance to it, like regularly releasing updates, thoughts, pushing it out to the industry, because as you say, this is impacting business so much within a massive sector and a, and a growing sector. Um, yeah. so, so it's great the work the IAB do, to be honest. Um, yeah, it's also really good. Like IAB is trying to take, Tech Lab in particular, trying to take a more active role in like not just creating standards, but like actually managing them and deploying them. So like them being a part of um, getting UID2 out to the world and kind of managing that from an open source perspective, that's great. Um, there's a lot of efforts in the Tech Lab now to to do more of that and make it so it's not just here's a standard, go do it. It's really like like a full framework and a full set of things Um and, and uh, you know, there's been a lot of great partnership recently between um, Prebit and IB Tech Lab around a number of different things that we're working on. Like we're working on um, first party data, um, allowing publishers to expose first party data in a number of like standard ways through Prebit. And that's like a joint collaboration between Prebit and the Tech Lab. And like, that's a really great thing to do. So there's a lot of good action going on um, between these groups and, and Tech Lab definitely doing good things there. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so we've covered a ton today and I just want to finish on for the listeners. What do you expect in the next six months to happen with Privacy Sandbox? What's going to be the most interesting things that come out of it? You know, Chrome has, it's a great question. Chrome, you know, so, so next month in theory, we'll start seeing flock and fledge in the world and can start seeing a little bit how it works and how it performs and, and, and those pieces. And I think in the beginning, it's going to mostly be some ad tech firms behind the scenes doing things. We're looking into some stuff we might be able to do with fledge to test it out in the very beginning and see how it works and, and, and kind of get ahead of the curve there. Um, so I think you've got, you've got that stuff in like the more near term. I would imagine that more pieces of the sandbox will start going into Chrome um, origin trials over the next six months. So there's a whole batch of them that we didn't talk about around attribution and measurement. So there's the aggregated reporting API and the conversion measurement API um, that measure, that allow advertisers to track performance and optim- do optimizations and things like that. Those are a whole batch of other proposals that are moving pretty far down the path right now. I wouldn't be surprised if those go into origin trials um, a little bit further down as well. There's also, there are a batch of, um, within the privacy sandbox, privacy related proposals, um, not only to turn on third party cookies and cross-site tracking, but like reduction of fingerprinting. So there's gonna be different things that the brow- they're gonna start testing in the browser around removing um, what they call fingerprinting services. So like the user agent and like other, and, and um, there's this thing called the privacy budget, which will make it so the browser reveals as little information as possible to stay within a budget. So sites can't sites currently and, and third-party vendors can ask for the browser to tell them everything about that browser. Privacy budget will limit that significantly. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see privacy budget uh, moving into an origin trial. So I think there's gonna be things like that happening. So I think it's gonna be a lot of testing is what I would say is the next six month looks like. Um, and I think again, like getting ahead of it and understanding what's going on in those tests and 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 how it's going to impact each of our respective businesses in the future is is a, a big thing to do in, the, in that kind of medium term. That's great. And it's it's just a fascinating time just to see how things uh, change, what the results of the tests, how they come back. Um, so thank you, Paul. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk through Privacy Sandbox because it's obviously super topical. I think it's something which is reasonably misunderstood so it's brilliant to have people like yourselves openly talking about it and helping others understand it 
thanks, Wayne. I appreciate it. It was great to, great to chat about it. Thanks, Paul. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. It's a technically overwhelming topic, but when you have experts like Paul being so open with their own knowledge, which they spend a ton of their own time developing, it does make you start to really be able to understand what's going on and what these seismic changes may mean to advertising. Paul is actually a fantastic person to follow on Twitter. His username is at pbanist, and he also created an excellent visualization of the Privacy Sandbox, which I'll leave as a link in the podcast description. Well, that's it for another ad pod. We look forward to seeing you again soon. Mm-hmm.